All right, I am here with Pork Cole from the Clonakilty uh, Whiskey Distillery. Uh, Pork, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. My pleasure, Tony. Great to be here. All right, so kind of tell me a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into the whiskey. How did you personally get yourself started? I know you're the president and founder. Um, what kind of tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm actually I'm one of the founders. The, the let's say the, the guy who had the original idea, uh, Michael Scully. He's back in Ireland at the distillery. And he had the idea, I think about five or six years ago, and he came to me about it because we'd worked together a bit and I'm from a financial side. And he asked me, you know, would I like to get involved in it? I wasn't too, I wasn't too sure because, you know, I didn't have a great knowledge of Irish whiskey, whiskey in general. Um, and he said, well, listen, you know, let's work together, putting a business plan and all that sort of stuff. And then as I sort of got into it and got deeper into it and did my research, um, I really got, you know, interested in the whole whiskey business. We went up to Isla, uh, visited uh, the distilleries in Isla, went to Edinburgh, went to Glasgow and sort of looked at the bars and sort of, because obviously at the time, five or six years ago, there was, you know, the Scotch, you know, at Scotland was far more of a whiskey place than Ireland because in Ireland we still had, you know, not too many distilleries. So got into us. Um, we obviously the U.S. is our is the biggest market for Irish whiskey. So, um, getting into the U.S. was or is a big part of our strategy, and trying to do that from Europe with time zones and everything it makes no sense. So, um, I volunteered to come over here, uh, got my visa, and came over in July 2019. So, based in Florida, and my role is basically to expand Clonakilty in the U.S. And Canada to a certain extent and open up so open up each state obviously as you know each state is different and we're in like 15 states at the moment we just got into California last month and you know I think in the next two or three years the goal will be into, to be around 30 35 states what is that time frame like between hey I've got an idea and you moving to Fort Lauderdale uh, about three and a half years basically okay I mean our, we, our first distillate, our own new make, came off our stills in May of 2019. Okay. So what we have, what you have in front of you there is source whiskey. And I'll come mm -hmm. back to it as why, you know, what we do differently on us. But we're actually distilling single pot stills. So the classic Irish whiskey, single pot still, the, the, the blend of malted and unmalted barley, which still, if you look at it as only, you know, a couple of percent of the total Irish whiskey volume has been produced. Um, but it's something that we thought that we would like to do. I think it's quintessentially Irish whiskey. Um, and obviously it's becoming more and more popular now. I mean, in the US, you know, this summer, everybody was going crazy over blue spot, right? You know, it was one of the things uh, that people were talking about every time I was going into a liquor store everywhere. So I think, from the point of view of the consumer in, in America who may have grown up, you know, drinking, let's say, Jemison, Tullamore Jew, Bushmills, and now they're sort of getting more educated into all these different types of whiskeys. I mean, I have no idea how many Irish whiskeys there are in the U.S., but certainly plenty of them. But they're all a little bit different. And, you know, I think it's great that this has happened. And um, for sure, if the big guys hadn't been in the U.S., you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, promoting Irish whiskey, we, we wouldn't be here. Or definitely, I wouldn't be here now. And I think, though, that, the you know, the consumers are get, getting a little bit more sophisticated, getting a little bit more understanding of Irish whiskey and the nuances of Irish whiskey. 
um, you know, so that that gives us the space to to operate. I think it's interesting because I mean, obviously, you have Jameson, and nobody's going to take down Jameson, regardless of you know how long they're around. I mean, obviously, it's the biggest seller. Um, yep. But I think what's interesting is there's so many really there's a lot of really good Irish whiskeys, um, and and it is a more uh, diverse space than simply Jameson. And Jameson's a good drink, but there's more to it. Yep, absolutely. And I think if you uh, if you look at let's say the difference between what's going on in the Irish whiskey scene versus the Scotch whiskey scene, we, we're allowed to play a little bit more with different woods and different you know different options. So you get stuff. Like uh, you know, and so if you you walk in, so we would do we would do finishes, we would do beer finishes, for example. We do a lot of different collaborations with U.S. breweries where we send their their barrels over to Ireland, and we put the whiskey in it, and then we send them back. So we've got some beautiful stout cast finishes. We do normal, we you know, we would do cognac finishes, of course, port cask, and all of these. But we sort of developed a little bit of a niche for ourselves. In each state that we operate in, we try and work with uh, at least one craft brewery. And we get the barrels. So I think on Monday, we're sending 14 barrels from Big Ditch in, in Buffalo over. We're sending barrels today from Streetcar in, in just outside of Washington, D.C. And it's great fun for us because, you know, it allows us to show what you can do with whiskey. But also then when you, it goes back into that market, people are saying, oh, wow, you did something, you know, with, with the local brewery. So it helps us sort of get a little bit of the closer to the community. And of course, craft beer drinkers, appreciate craft whiskey as well right certainly so they're not spending two dollars for a beer right they're spending four or five or whatever so they understand mm -hmm. that if you want something a little bit special you got to pay for it you know yeah. so and and you know it's great we have great fun with these with these different breweries and uh, we, we love to support them uh, and uh, you know it's one of the things we do quite well i think so you had mentioned that like this bottle that I've got is, is a sourced whiskey mm -hmm. um, I mean Irish whiskey you're looking at three years oh. minimum correct? Three years minimum, absolutely. But realistically, you know, what you have there in front of you is is uh, a vatting of, you know, I think between seven and eleven years old. So, so getting in though, as as you're starting, I have to imagine somewhat like the like the bourbon industry. If you want to get started, um, sitting on new make for three plus years is probably not very feasible. Uh, so what is that process like for you guys in terms of sourcing whiskey? Is that something where you decide a flavor profile that you're going for and you search that out? Or is, are you very specific about, uh, you know, what your mash is going to look like? Well, um, I think one of the first things that we did, um, even before we started distilling ourselves, we acquired some land that we could, we could grow in barley on and we acquired source whiskey. I mean, I would say 99% of the source whiskey in Ireland actually comes delivered in, you know, bourbon barrels. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to us then to decide how to finish it. So let's say all the, the distilleries, the, 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 the young distilleries who haven't got their own whiskey for sale yet, take it in as bourbon and then they source barrels so they can do port, you know, cognac, generally, you know, barrels from, from Europe. And it's up to, so Paul, our uh, head distiller, He's got some ideas as to how what he thinks you know he would like to um, you know to to see his whiskey finished in, and we get in barrels. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things we got a barrel from a white wine, Reef Saltes, this sort of obscure white wine from France. We had it in the barrels for like two years. It was there was nothing happening to the whiskey, 
we sort of left it. And then Paul tried it about six months ago. So it was like three and a half years in and thought it was absolutely amazing. Mm. So, you know, you, you, we, we source barrels, we try stuff. We maybe, if it's not there yet, we put it away, leave it at the back of the, the, the back of the warehouse and we come back to it. But we tried to, we tried at the start to source as much as possible. We put it on a warehouse, which is right on the edge of the ocean and the Atlantic, which we have like, you know, six months of the year, there's a gale blowing through it, which is also interesting because as well as their source whiskey, we put our new make there um, and the influence that the sea is going to have on it will actually be quite interesting um, because we're so close and because, you know, the wind is going right and we designed the warehouse in such a way that we have uh, the slats on each side of it so the wind goes right through it. Um, to create this whiskey that, you know, because we call ourselves the Atlantic Distillery, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to see what the influence of that old sea air will be on our whiskey. Uh, tell me a little bit about the distillery. So you guys are down in County Cork, right? We're down in County Cork. We're about half an hour uh, west of Cork Airport. And it's right in the middle of the town. Clonakilty, the name of the whiskey, is also the name of the town. Mm-hmm. And so it's classically triple distilled Irish whiskey. It's what we're distilling ourselves. What you have there um, is what we call our double oak finish. And as I said, it came in most of its life. It was maturing in bourbon barrels. We took it out of the bourbon barrels and then we put some of it into virgin American oak, oak barrels and some of it into what we call, or what is called a neoc cask. And a neoc cask is basically shaved and toasted red wine cask from Bordeaux. So it's not recharged. So you have, in, in, with Scotch whiskey, you have these STR casks, which are the shaved toasted recharge casks. We don't recharge. So you get more of the, the influence of the barrel coming through on it. And it's sort of niche, neoc, not too many people. We, I think we were the first in Ireland to use it. Uh, a few other distilleries now are using it. And we're actually gonna send some of those neoc barrels over to Garrison Brothers in Texas. We're doing a barrel swap with Garrison. They're sending some of their barrels to us. We're, we're going to send some of our NEOC over. So I definitely think these will be the first NEOC barrels to actually make it all over to the Atlantic. So, you know, it's, wow. it's rather than we're not obviously hiding the fact that we're using source whiskey, but we don't want to just bring it in one door, put our label on it and send it out the other door, right? We want to say, listen, we're going to make good whiskey. We're not there yet with ours, but here, look at what we're doing in the, in, in the meantime. And this should give you an idea of the sort of quality that we want to achieve when our own um, single pot still is ready. And while you're absolutely right, the three years is the legal uh, term for Irish whiskey. The problem, if you like, with single pot still is that really it's going to be five years before it's ready. It takes the longest to mature of all the whiskeys even longer than single malt. So um, we have to be patient. Um, and it's coming along very nicely. Everybody's happy with it, but I think, you know, we don't, really, we don't, we don't want to rush it out, which I think As, is a mistake. And using like a virgin oak, I, I, and I don't know this, I'm curious, from a bourbon perspective, as you're charring it or toasting it, which will obviously bring out flavors, does, does the quality of wood if you're using a virgin oak have to be higher since you're not charring it or changing any of the um you know compounds of it more or less it does it does and we're very specific about um the the wood that we source mm-hmm. um, and again because we have um paul back in ireland he's pretty good at this sort of stuff so we would be very choosy about it yeah 
and the other thing obviously is that you know you might get 10 barrels in but each of them will be different mm-hmm. so some of them might we put the whiskey in it for two months some of them we put the whiskey in three months but you look at the barrel the day one that arrives you don't see any difference between them but all the barrels are so reactive and if you look at our batch sizes i don't know what batch you have there but <clears throat> the uh, batch seven, i have here is, sorry 17 17 okay i have seven what i've got 1600 bottles on this one what's your six thousand six thousand that's probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest we've ever done Really? So the small batch, let's say in Kentucky, might be a hundred thousand bottles, but we would do, you know, small small batches. And again, the big guys always strive for the absolute consistency in terms of the color, the flavor, yeah. you know, from year to year. We don't. It, there will be slight nuances in the difference with small batches. Probably even more with the port cast finish that we do, you know, because the port pipes they're all, you know, they're big, but they're all different. You will have different colors. You'll have a slightly different color. You'll have more fruitiness sometimes in them. It is, you know, it just, it, it is what it is. They're all good. Um, we, we, we do a couple of other things differently. Uh, I think than other distilleries, we have uh, what we call min- minimal filtration. We, we, we have the, the uh, we try to filter as little as possible, just basically to, to, to make sure there's no char on the bottle of the bottle. And we add water over two weeks. And this is something we call the gentle cut. And it does make a huge difference actually in the whiskey. And now is that in terms of just rather than taking the whiskey and mixing it with a predetermined amount of water? I mean, are you having like a drip system or what is that like? Is it just slowly? We just added very, we added very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically when you take in most distilleries, you take it from cast strength, obviously to bottling strength, you know what your bottling strength strength is and you add Mm -hmm. water pretty quickly because, you know, got to make millions of, of, of gallons of it so um we do it slowly so we put it into a container so we vat it we filter it we put it into uh and does ibc what's called a bulk container and then we just add water very very slowly to it and a funny story i was about four or five months ago i was up in jacksonville and this guy that i knew he said try this this is our this is a bourbon barrel pick and I tasted it and I said to him, that is the most delicious bourbon I've ever tasted. And he said, yeah, you know, we're proud of it. We had water over two weeks very slowly. And I mm-hmm. said, hey, we do that as well. It was Old Elk. Oh. And they had a, they had a bar pick for a bar in, in, in Jacksonville. And, it, and I went back and they have an article on their, on their website about it. So they have the exact same thing. They've tested it scientifically. Um, obviously, you know, can everybody do it? They can't because they don't have the space. It takes up a huge amount of space. Uh, so it's not something that uh, the, the bigger guys can do, but um, it really does make a difference. And if you have the same whiskey, add water very quickly, because the water creates heat. When you add water to alcohol, it creates heat. There's, evapor- there's uh, the evaporation of the alcohol. So add it slowly um, and it does make a difference. That's incredible. I don't, I've never heard of that. I think most of you I, I talk with people like, in bourbon. I've never heard of that before. It's well, when the guy from all out told me this, I was like, yeah, that's crazy how we, the two of us independently came up with the same idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it makes sense, sense though. No, it does make sense. It does. Absolutely does. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah. I always, I always kind of wonder more or less, you know, the, I, I had a conversation with somebody from a craft distillery here um, and he made the point of, you know, some of the big guys, Buffalo Trace and, and Heaven Hill and the big bourbon companies. He said, those guys spill more in a day than we make in a year. 
And I, I have to imagine that's fairly close to kind of what Jameson does. And like you said, you're trying to, they're trying to create a consistency versus like you guys can create a lot of different like expressions by changing some things very subtly. It seems like whether it's a finish or, uh, you know, adding higher percentages of, you know, malt or whatever you want to do. Um, is that, is the, are you, do you get to get involved in the, you know, art versus science part of that? Um, or, or how does that work? What's that process like for you guys? That's, yeah, it's a good question. The, the process actually is that we go into liquor stores and we talk to the buyers in liquor stores and we say, listen, this is what, these are our standard products. And we, we taste them our standard products. We talk about the things we were speaking about. And then the guy or the girl may say, oh, listen, you know, I really would like something with a higher proof or I'd like it with a rum cask or a cognac finish. And basically I just get on the phone to Ireland. And if, you know, if the hour is still reasonable, I can get an answer pretty quickly. We have, and then it's just simply, we could, we will just produce it, you know? And we've, we've done a, in this, at this quarter, most of our sales this quarter will actually be single barrel. Uh, finishes for liquor stores up and down uh, the country and some will be a cast strength some will be you know between 100 proof and cast strength basically is what people want so we're able to sort of react to the fact that there is more demand for higher proof so people are moving away from the 80 proof and they want to get more higher and higher proof and we can do that is that is that a um do you see that mainly in like overall in American markets based off of, you know, the popularity of the high proof bourbons. Yeah, this is, this is a, <coughs> I think it's, it's an American thing as such. I think the guys in Ireland were a little bit, are you sure you want to send it out at, you know, 116 or whatever. Yeah. And I said, absolutely. And then we were sort of a little bit, there was a little bit of trepidation, but people are loving it. And we've just launched or we're launching this month, a 124 proof, Mm. Uh, uh, rye finish from Catoctin Creek Barrels and that's 124 and that is beautiful but it, oh. and it is it drinks really smoothly even though you know like 124 you're thinking oh my god you know what is this some bite hey but it really is good and again it's all about you know um just the care we put into it the the, the filtration and all the rest of the stuff you know so mm -hmm. it is good and but there is an art in blending and I mean I think that's the other thing Blended whiskey has got a bit of a, you know, it's like a dirty word blended, you know, and it is, it's an art form. Yeah. You know, and I've been doing tastings and somebody will walk in and, and they'll say, is it, a, is it a single malt or is it a blend? And I'll say it's a blend and they say, oh, you know, not interested, it's a blend. And I said, well, hang on, you know, you can get a single malt for a relatively low price and it's not very, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's any good right yeah. just because it's single malt. no of course it doesn't equate to quality it doesn't no but i think people and maybe it's just because you know before you know you can put anything into blended and in certain countries you can put in basically you can put in new mixed spirit into it and call it a blend and stuff like that so you know i can understand to a certain extent why consumers may be a bit put off with it but there is an art of blending and being able to put a certain amount so we have let's say some 10 11 year old grain whiskey which if you think, you know, grain whiskey as a young grain whiskey isn't a very complicated thing, but when you put it in, a, when you have it in a barrel for like 10 or 11 years, you know, it is a complex, it is a complex spirit. So being able to take that and then figure out what, what uh, single malt to marry that to vat it with, and then what, you know, what barrels you're going to put that in. You know, there's a lot of science to that, and there's a lot of um, artist, artistry as well. 
I mean, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, so I don't have the palate. I don't have the nose for that at all. I'm glad I have nothing to do with that part of it because it is, you know, there's not everybody can do it. I think no. that's fair to say. But basically, this is the point I suppose I'm trying to make. It, it, it comes from the market. We're talking to these these buyers, these and we, you know people who are doing barrel picks, and the feedback was: listen, the higher the, the proof, the better. I think this is maybe the people are sort of coming around to the fact that maybe you drink less, but drink better. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And maybe as we're all getting a little bit older, there's probably no harm in that either. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not such a bad thing. Some of those, uh, some of the lower proofs go down a little too easy uh, these days. Well, but, they do. They do. They do. Yeah. But I, I, won't, I haven't had many higher proof Irish whiskey. So I would definitely be interested to try that out because I think it is interesting. And I think, you know, I know for me on my sweet, my sweet spot in, in bourbon is like that 90 to 105 range, but I do like some that are higher. Um, but I do, you know, Irish whiskeys tend to kind of stay in, in that range or, or below that. And I think there's a, a really nice place for that personally. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see more and more coming out because I mean, again, as I say, the US is the biggest market for Irish whiskey. So mm-hmm. anybody's over here is for sure is reporting back to Ireland. Listen, the bourbons are moving up along in terms of the proof. So we got to move with it. Um, I think one of this, the, the single pot still that um, blue spot, I think that was a cast strength, mm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, yeah that, there is, there would be a bit. That blue spot had the, uh, the whiskey communities in a tizzy this summer. It was crazy. I know it's, it is. I was in a liquor store in New York and it was for sale because New York is this price posting, right? So you have a legal posting mm. of the price it was like 99 bucks or 89 or whatever. And down in Florida, it was 399. It's just, yeah, it's absurd. The, uh, the difference in some of those, I, I was, I'll tell you, I went, I made two trips to Ireland uh, in 2018 and 19 and, you know, got to do some of the distor- distillery tours, um, you know, and go to some establishments and try out some different things and, and had an absolute blast there. Um, I will, anytime I can go to Galway, I uh, absolutely loved it. Never made it down to Cork, but I, I loved Galway. Uh, that was definitely one of the more, more fun times I've had. Um, but I remember going into a, a, a store there and they had a bunch of different whiskeys and the amount of Irish whiskeys that were there uh, not only just like your standard, you know, like you said, Jameson, Tullamore, Dew, Bushmills, uh, but starting to get more, more brands. And then the m- more offerings from those brands that we've never seen here is the popularity um, here. Is that based off of like the quantity that sold obviously big, a bigger size country than Ireland or like is Irish whiskey, the, the popular drink of choice in Ireland when it comes to whiskeys. <clears throat> Oh, for sure it is. Yeah, it would definitely be the most popular. Um, and I suppose the problem with, if you're, if the question is, why, why can't you get them in the US? It's just, you know, just the whole logistics and the time spent to get a, a route to market in the US mm-hmm. is really, really difficult. And the distributors, because you have the three tier system, mm-hmm. the distributors don't necessarily want to take risks with new brands that aren't established. They're going to say, especially now, right, where there's not enough workers in warehouses and, sure. you know, not enough drivers. They're going to say, well, I'm going to take in a couple of pallets of this stuff. Why would I, you know, it's taking up real estate in my warehouse, right? So yeah. even when it was even difficult for us, 2018, 2019, um, it's, it's, it's more challenging now. So unless you have an established route to market, 
um, it is really, really difficult. Now, obviously, you can see that there's more direct to consumer sales. So mm -hmm. there are whiskeys being sent and being sold online. And hopefully that will sort of relax and that'll help, you know, get, it'll be easier and, and it'll cost less to ship over stuff. And uh, let's say to one guy, one company who can, you know, distribute to most of the states. But at the moment, that's, that's not the case. But I think the Irish off licenses, we call them or liquor stores, you know, they, they are really open to, uh, you know, stocking smaller brands and the craft brands and helping support the industry because I think they can see that you know it's uh, it, you know I think we we like to support our own basically in Ireland you know so sure uh, that's that's definitely one thing we're good at and I suppose one of the disadvantages and one of the reasons um, that there's very few bourbons in in Ireland you know mm -hmm. we should and part of it is tariffs and there's a whole thing going on there with that but. I think we don't have access to a lot of great bourbons in Ireland either. Sure. So perhaps that's part of the reason there's so many Irish whiskeys in the stores over there. Yeah, it makes sense. I think there's a, uh, it's interesting though, the, the, the people equate Irish whiskey with Jameson. And I think yeah. once you, once you go outside of Jameson, there's a lot of really good Irish whiskeys. And once people start to branch out, I think they would find that, but I understand what you're saying. Why, why give that a chance when, as a U.S. consumer or U.S. retailer, when you know that you're going to sell the main few uh, that are out there, the big name brands that are out there versus, you know, like you said, the craft distilleries and bourbons are popping up and they're selling like crazy. Um, you would imagine some of the craft distilleries with Irish whiskey would do the same given the popularity here. Do you think there would be a, a time when that direct to consumer would exist from Irish distilleries? Oh, I, I definitely think so. And I mean, I think if you look, I mean, it's all going to, well, legislation is going to be a big part of it, right? Mm -hmm. If, like, <clears throat> if the courts decide in the U.S. that you can actually just, you know, send alcohol across borders without any problems and all the rest of this stuff, then I think it will work. And still, it's, you know, we, you can still do it to a certain extent, but it's, you know, I would love to be able to send alcohol by USPS, which obviously yeah. legally you can't, right? Because it costs us <clears throat> to ship a bottle of what you have there from our, from Florida is probably 18 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the company we use demand that you, you know, they charge us three bucks for signing it or that you have to sign it or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of profit going on there that, you know, if <clears throat> it was allowed, if USPS were allowed to ship alcohol and then it was just a normal thing, definitely there'd be an awful lot more. But I think it's going to happen. I definitely think over the next four or five years it's going to happen. Um, I know that obviously there's a lobby going on that to stop that because there's a lot of money being made by the distributors in the U.S. Oh, I bet. Um, you know, and it's in their interest, obviously, that that long may that continue. But the problem, with, as I said, with the distributors is that you know they don't have a huge, they don't have unlimited amount of warehouse space, and they're between and there's less and less of the larger distributors. So you know, they it's not it's not conducive to the smaller guys. Sure. So. You know, in in the U.S., obviously, if you're a craft distiller in, let's say, Texas or whatever, first of all, you build your brand in Texas, and then, you know, you might branch out to some other states, and then maybe one of the big guys like Total Wine or something will see that and pick it up and then expand it out, you know, so that's that's pretty tricky for us to do. I bet. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it happens soon, because I know my favorite liquor store was the Dublin Airport. 
uh, fly, flying out of there. There was, there was definitely a couple that are, it's like when you're at the grocery store and there's like the candy or something right there. And you're like, I'll just grab one of those. Uh, it was the same way. And I, I stocked up <laughs> a couple of times. So oh, it's, it's, it. It is, it's really a great showcase uh, for Irish whiskey there. I mean, I think they've, and they're pretty good at, at taking in new brands as well. Um, you know, to give the variety, you know, maybe not all of them are huge sellers, but they'll still stock them. I think, you yeah. know, just because it's, 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 it's Irish whiskey. That's great. All right. Let's talk about this a little bit. So I, yeah. first of all, the bottle itself is awesome. I love the design of the bottle. It's, it's definitely unique. I love the hollow bottom. Um, I mean, this is a really good looking bottle. It's a really good looking label. It's very clean. Um, this, I mean, this would catch my eye if this was on a, on a, uh, on a shelf somewhere. Well, so I'm glad to hear that. And there's two, I mean, obviously it's the podcast, right? So people aren't able to, to see what we're talking about. I'll, but... I'll put it on YouTube so they can see it. Okay. Two things, right? We wanted a, the bottle itself. We wanted something that people would want to just grab and take down mm -hmm. from the shelf. It's on a liquor store, right? So in a liquor store. And the label was sort of developed like that because when myself and Michael, we were in like Edinburgh, Glasgow, in this really, uh, in this bar where they had a thousand different Scotch whiskeys and mm -hmm. the lights were low. And we were saying to ourselves, well, listen, you can't even see the labels on 99% of them. So unless you know what it is, you're not going to order it. Mm -hmm. So we said, well, listen, if we're going to develop a, a, this whiskey, we're going to make sure that the label is actually legible from a distance in a bar when the lights are down. And I think we try, we've worked on that. The whale, this is the minky whale. So if you ever go to Clannacilty, in August and September, you have all these whales. People go whale watching. It's a big thing there. You take a boat out and you go whale watching. So that's why we have the, the, the whale there. And there's this, the actual, outside of the distillery is also the whale is there outside as well. So it's sort of talking about our, the maritime distillery and the fact that, you know, we're right beside the Atlantic Ocean. Our barley fields are right there as well, right beside the ocean. So we're really looking forward to finding out really how much of an influence you know, being right beside the ocean and being exposed to the ocean air every day does actually have on our whiskey. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's it. So that's our bottle. I mean, it's a very heavy bottle. So yeah. you know, there's, a, there's a bit of pressure in the European Union on about, you know, reducing the actual weight of glass and bottles and stuff. So, you know, this is something we're going to have to be looking at over the next couple of years. But anyways, for the moment, that's what, that's what it is. That's what it looks like. I was going to say, so the EU said, not to do it so you guys said well, we're going to do it well no. more like <laughs> you were saying guys you know we've we've all these targets to meet by 2030 and one of them is you know reducing the sort of carbon footprint so you know what are you going to do about it and th there is pressure on whether you should have a carton on your bot uh, you know have the bottle inside a carton so uh, should you be shipping cartons what are you going to do with the bottle should you make it lighter and all that sort of stuff so look it's it's where it's going, so you know we don't really have too much of a too much of a choice, but that's what it is for the moment. All right, so this is the double oak finish. Yeah. Uh, double gold in San Francisco, like that. Double gold, San Francisco World Whiskey Awards Best Irish Blend in twenty twenty. And yeah, so this is our flagship, and we're quite proud of this. This is, and when I do tastings we have a port cast finish and a lot of people who are bourbon drinkers will gravitate more towards the port cast finish because I think it's a little bit sweeter than this double oak finish. 
The double oak finish is, I think, for people who have tried Irish whiskey, who like Irish whiskey, and then just want to sort of try something else, maybe move up the category a little bit. And so you have you have you have the European oak and the American oak, you know, um, influences on it. So from the American oak, you're going to get sort of vanilla, caramel, mm -hmm. sort of maple syrup would be typical flavors. From the French oak, you're going to get some sort of toasted almonds, sort of spicy notes from it. And then, of course, with the French oak with having some Bordeaux red wine in it also, you're going to get some sort of ripe apple pear notes from that. So, and as I said, we, we, we make small batches. So each one will be, you know, there'll be slight differences between them, but I sure, think that only sure. makes it interesting. Yeah, it's a really nice nose. And this is 43.6. We don't uh, chill filter any of the whiskeys over here. Mm. Um, and we don't add caramel. So the coloring, uh, again, will be different from bottle to bottle. And sometimes it's amazing, you know, you, you have a eight or nine-year-old blend and you're looking at the color and you take another four-year-old whiskey and you look at the color and the four-year-old is like darker. You're saying, well, what's going on there? Part of it obviously is that each cask is different, but also part of it is that caramel is added. And uh, some, some brands will add caramel to us, caramel coloring. All right, let me try this out. Slauncha, I'll have one as well. That's that's really nice. Good. That really sits on your tongue. It does. It, yeah, it is. No, it's a nice whiskey, and as I said, it's for, so it's it's forty three point six. So it's not um, you know it's not too 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 high proof. So it's a nice nice sipping whiskey. Damn, I like that. Yeah, I like how it kind of lingers. It's not a, you know, the short, quick one that's out of there um, that sits around really nicely. A nice, it like, does, spice, yeah, it nice spice and fruit at the end. Exactly. That's it. It's a nice lingering spices to us. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not it's not an overwhelming, uh, like, rye spice or the heat from the proof. Uh, it's, it's a lot more subtle. That's, that's nice. What is the, what's the price point on this? Um, most places about forty nine ninety nine. I think it's a little bit cheaper in California. So between $39.99 and $49.99. Okay. And can you order this? Uh, is there online retailers or third parties you can order this to in, in states that they deliver to? Yeah, we have our own store, uh, SIP Irish, S-I-P, irish.com. Um, we had clonakiltydistillery.com as, you know, but our shop clonakilty.com, I should say, but, you know, people were having problems spelling clonakilty, so. <laughs> we came up with sip irish so i think everybody Simplified. can yeah exactly so man this is really nice great glad um, you like it and yeah we're quite proud of it um it's a nice whiskey i mean um the neoc definitely the neoc barrels uh do make a difference to it um and it's if you were to taste the same whiskey before we were using the neoc and afterwards you would notice you know the difference between the two Mm. Now tell me, tell me again. This is typically uh, blending wise. Is is what kind of an age with this one? Somewhere between seven and eleven years old. 
Okay. The grain element is older. Okay. Yeah, this is really nice. Um, tell me, tell me again. I know you'd mentioned a couple of them. Tell me about some of the other finishes you have. Cause I know you said the stout, uh, was it a port or sherry? Well, our three, our three standard um, whiskeys is this, the, the single batch of local. We have a port cask finish and we had a single grain Bordeaux cask finish. Okay. And there are three standards and in each, in each state then, let's say we would have uh, a collaboration with a local brewery. So down here, where I am in Florida, you, you can have an IPA finish from 26 degree brewing in Pompano. So you can have mm. your IPA finished beer. And we have in, um, in, in, uh, in, in Maryland, we have with Manor Hill, we had um, another finish. We had a stout finish um, and we have a Baltic Porter finish also. So each state we would have with a brewery, and then sometimes we have these special releases, like what I said with Catoctin Creek, where we have four, like 2,400 bottles. So we're just putting that into New York, New Jersey, Maryland, DC, and Virginia. Okay. So, but, so, but it, as I said, we're trying to react to what the, the consumers want, you know? So it's like if we hear that, and we're watching the trends constantly all the time. So I would suspect that, as we can see, with the higher proof, that's something, you know, we're going to bring in a single malt with a 46% proof um, in the next couple of months as we're sort of phasing out the, the grain whiskey, the single, the single grain Bordeaux. I'm going to have Just to keep my eye out on that single malt. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, and it's finished in, it's also finished in the New York barrels as well. Mm. Yeah, that's, for some reason, I, some of the single malts I've had lately uh, I found myself really gravitating towards those. Uh, I tend to really yep. like them. Yeah. Now, do, do you guys uh, do you guys mess around with any peat or anything like that? Uh, no, we don't actually. Um, okay. And that's a question that I get asked quite often. Uh, and it's tricky with peat because you just can't, you know, switch it on and switch it off, right? So you either have to, you just can't start uh, distilling again normal, uh, yeah. you know. So we don't have it, and I don't think there are any plans to do it. To be honest, at the moment. Yeah, I don't, I'm very hit or miss on peat myself. Uh, it's I, I'm I'm not personally a big Scotch fan. Uh, I stick with bourbons and Irish whiskeys. I, I I just don't really. I never got into Scotch. Um, I've had a couple of Isla Scotches that were that were good uh, that I enjoyed, but there's definitely that level of peat where I, I think, man, I don't know if I can go much more than that uh yeah that's yeah. interesting i'm i'm the same and i mean i've been, obviously had conversations with people who drink nothing but you know the most peatiest scotch they can get and they're trying to tell me that you need to go past this sort of barrier that your tongue is sort of you know we just can't get anything other than the peat and apparently you know it's an educate they tell me it's an education thing you just got to keep banging at that door and then eventually you'll just sort of break it through and then you can appreciate all these all these flavors coming from it. but you know i think there's enough you know you can do enough with without having a peated whiskey you know by yeah. playing with uh, different cast finishes and all the rest of the stuff yeah and what we when our when our single pot still will be ready so we're looking at you know 2024 probably for that i mean how, how our profile of that is going to be whether we'll be using some sherry influences on it or whatever that's going to be you know a big point i think of discussion 
and fun coming 2023, 2024, you know, when we try and figure out with Paul exactly sort of what flavor profile we're going to have from our own, mm. you know, single pot stuff. Because that is going to be something, you know, you make a decision with that and you sort of have to move on with it. You just can't chop and change out of it. So that's going to be that, fun. That's the fascinating part of the whole of whiskey to me is, is like you said, you're looking forward to 2023, 2024, um, waiting until that time to try it out and go, okay, is this what we thought it was going to be? If it is great. And if it's not like, how do you adjust from that point? Uh, I think that's really an interesting part of the whole whiskey thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And whether, you know, you have, do you, do you finish it then in the cask or do you buy the cask now, put it in the cask for three years also. Right. So that whole mm -hmm. thing. And then if you're doing small batches, the problem with small batches, as I said, is each one is different. Right. So you can't necessarily, you don't want to be, you know, skewing too much from one batch to another. So. Sure. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of challenges ahead for uh, the guys in Ireland, but fun, I, believe it. I think as well. Yeah, it sounds like a fun challenge because I think you're. Uh, this is really good, and I think if you're continuing to make other really good whiskeys, you know, it gets more people interested and uh, excited to try out the different iterations that come out. Because you know, once you have one thing that's good, um, yeah, they want to see what else is out there that they could possibly get into. That's how I got myself into single malts, um, just trying out other things and. I said, man, that, that flavor profile just kind of resonates with me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's the, as it's, you know, it's great, it's, it's great fun as well, you know, and so there's nothing quite like, uh, you know, sitting down with a flight of whiskeys in front of you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I do it with people and it's completely blind. Right. And sometimes I have this tasting mass, you know, and everything is in front of you and you know exactly what you should be getting on the nose and the palate. But sometimes just have us completely have three random whiskeys from I'd bring them to a tasting. They wouldn't know what they are. And we've got some, you know, we've got like about 40 different types of whiskeys now in for sale between single barrels and different mm -hmm. collaborations. And it's fun with people trying to, you know, listen to what they're what they're actually taking from it and what they can detect on their noses and on the palate and everything. And people are different and need, you know, people who also know a lot about whiskeys and bourbons and scotches and Irish and, who, you know, who have very fine, refined paths will get different things out of the same whiskey. So, you know, you have your official tasting notes, but then, you know, three people who are all experts will come up with different tasting notes for the exact same whiskey. I always find that interesting. Yeah. And I think also there's possibly a, uh, a bit of a, We'll call it mind control. Uh, if you come in and say, I smell pears, uh, it's very easy to smell and go, yeah, I get, I get pear there. Because uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's in your it's in your mind, you're thinking about it, and it's really easy to put those things together. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Awesome. Park, I really appreciate this. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, where can people find you guys on social media? Clonic uh, Hilti Distillery USA is our obviously our US so Clonic Hilti Distillery in Ireland also. So we're on Instagram. We have our US Instagram where we post different things about you know different bars and all the rest of stuff. But the Instagram in Ireland is it's what's going on you know mainly in Ireland. Awesome. And from the distillery. So yeah, thanks very That's much, great. Tony. It's been great talking yes. to you. Yes, thanks so much. I appreciate this bottle, and I uh, I'm looking forward to keeping my eye out on that single malt for sure. I'll, I'll make sure you get a sample of it anyway. Don't worry. All right. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Take Thanks care. Thanks so much. Take care. All the best. Bye.
All right, I am here with Pork Cole from the Clonakilty uh, Whiskey Distillery. Uh, Pork, thanks so much for uh, joining me today. My pleasure, Tony. Great to be here. All right, so kind of tell me a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into the whiskey. How did you personally get yourself started? I know you're the president and founder. Um, what kind of tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm actually I'm one of the founders. The, the let's say the, the guy who had the original idea, uh, Michael Scully. He's back in Ireland at the distillery. And he had the idea, I think around five or six years ago, and he came to me about it because we had worked together a bit and I'm from a financial side. And he asked me, you know, would I like to get involved in it? I wasn't too, I wasn't too sure because, you know, I didn't have a great knowledge of Irish whiskey, whiskey in general. Um, and he said, well, listen, you know, let's work together, putting a business plan and all that sort of stuff. And then as I sort of got into it and got deeper into it and did my research, um, I really got, you know, interested in the whole whiskey business. We went up to Isla, uh, visited uh, the distilleries in Isla, went to Edinburgh, went to Glasgow and sort of looked at the bars and sort of, because obviously at the time, five or six years ago, there was, you know, the Scotch, you know, at Scotland was far more of a whiskey place than Ireland because in Ireland we still had, you know, not too many distilleries. So got into it. Um, we obviously the U.S. is our is the biggest market for Irish whiskey. So, um, getting into the U.S. was or is a big part of our strategy, and trying to do that from Europe with time zones and everything it makes no sense. So, um, I volunteered to come over here, uh, got my visa, and came over in July 2019. So, based in Florida, and my role is basically to expand Clonakilty in the U.S and Canada to a certain extent and open up. So open up each state, obviously, as you know, each state is different. And we're in like 15 states at the moment. We just got into California last month. And, you know, I think in the next two or three years, the goal will be into, to be around 30, 35 states. What is that time frame like between, hey, I've got an idea and you moving to Fort Lauderdale? Uh, about three and a half years, basically. Okay. I mean, our, we, our first distillate, our own new make, came off our stills in May of 2019. Okay. So what we have, what you have in front of you there is source whiskey. And I'll come mm -hmm. back to it as why, you know, what we do differently on us. But we're actually distilling single pot stills. So the classic Irish whiskey, single pot still, the, the, the blend of malted and unmalted barley, which still, if you look at it, it's only, you know, a couple of percent of the total Irish whiskey volume has been produced. Um, but it's something that we thought that we would like to do. I think it's quintessentially Irish whiskey. Um, and obviously it's becoming more and more popular now. I mean, in the US, you know, this summer, everybody was going crazy over blue spot, right? You know, it was one of the things uh, that people were talking about every time I was going into a liquor store everywhere. So I think, from the point of view of the consumer in, in America who may have grown up, you know, drinking, let's say, Jemison, Tullamore Jew, Bushmills, and now they're sort of getting more educated into all these different types of whiskeys. I mean, I have no idea how many Irish whiskeys there are in the U.S., but certainly plenty of them. But they're all a little bit different. And, you know, I think it's great that this has happened. And um, for sure, if the big guys hadn't been in the U.S., you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, promoting Irish whiskey, we, we wouldn't be here. Or definitely, I wouldn't be here now. And I think, though, that, the you know, the consumers are get, getting a little bit more sophisticated, getting a little bit more understanding of Irish whiskey and the nuances of Irish whiskey. 
um, you know, so that that gives us the space to to operate. I think it's interesting because I mean, obviously, you have Jameson, and nobody's going to take down Jameson, regardless of you know how long they're around. I mean, obviously, it's the biggest seller. Um, yep. But I think what's interesting is there's so many really there's a lot of really good Irish whiskeys, um, and, and it is a more uh, diverse space than simply Jameson. And Jameson's a good drink, but there's more to it. Yep, absolutely. And I think if you uh, if you look at let's say the difference between what's going on in the Irish whiskey scene versus the Scotch whiskey scene, we, we're allowed to play a little bit more with different woods and different you know different options. So you get stuff. Like uh, you know, and so if you you walk in, so we would do we would do finishes, we would do beer finishes, for example. We do a lot of different collaborations with U.S. breweries where we send their their barrels over to Ireland, and we put the whiskey in it, and then we send them back. So we've got some beautiful stout cast finishes. We do normal, we you know, we would do cognac finishes, of course, port cask, and all these. But we've sort of developed a little bit of a niche for ourselves. In each state that we operate in, we try and work with uh, at least one craft brewery. And we get the barrels. So I think on Monday, we're sending 14 barrels from Big Ditch in, in Buffalo over. We're sending barrels today from Streetcar in, in just outside of Washington, D.C. And it's great fun for us because, you know, it allows us to show what you can do with whiskey. But also then when you, it goes back into that market, people are saying, oh, wow, you did something, you know, with, with the local brewery. So it helps us sort of get a little bit of the closer to the community. And of course, craft beer drinkers, appreciate craft whiskey as well right certainly so they're not spending two dollars for a beer right they're spending four or five or whatever so they understand mm -hmm. that if you want something a little bit special you got to pay for it you know yep. so and and you know it's great we have great fun with these with these different breweries and uh, we, we love to support them uh, and uh, you know it's one of the things we do quite well i think so you had mentioned that like this bottle that I've got is, is a sourced whiskey mm -hmm. um, I mean Irish whiskey you're looking at three years oh. minimum correct? Three years minimum, absolutely. But realistically, you know, what you have there in front of you is is uh, a vatting of, you know, I think between seven and eleven years old. So, so getting in though, as as you're starting, I have to imagine somewhat like the like the bourbon industry. If you want to get started, um, sitting on new make for three plus years is probably not very feasible. Uh, so, what is that process like for you guys in terms of sourcing whiskey? Is that something where you decide a flavor profile that you're going for and you search that out or is, are you very specific about uh you know what your mash was going to look like well um i think one of the first things that we did um even before we started distilling ourselves we acquired some land that we could we could grow in barley on and we acquired source whiskey i mean I would say 99% of the source whiskey in Ireland actually comes delivered in, you know, bourbon barrels. Mm -hmm. And then it's up to us then to decide how to finish it. So let's say all the, the distilleries, the, 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 the young distilleries who haven't got their own whiskey for sale yet, take it in as bourbon and then they source barrels so they can do port, you know, cognac, generally, you know, barrels from, from Europe. And it's up to, so Paul, our uh, head distiller, He's got some ideas as to how what he thinks you know he would like to um, you know to to see his whiskey finished in, and we get in barrels. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things we got a barrel from a white wine, Reef Saltes, this sort of obscure white wine from France. We had it in the barrels for like two years. It was there was nothing happening to the whiskey, 
we sort of left it. And then Paul tried it about six months ago. So it was like three and a half years in and thought it was absolutely amazing. Mm. So, you know, you, you, we, we source barrels, we try stuff. We maybe, if it's not there yet, we put it away, leave it at the back of the, the, the back of the warehouse and we come back to it. But we tried to, we tried at the start to source as much as possible. We put it on a warehouse, which is right on the edge of the ocean and the Atlantic, which we have like, you know, six months of the year, there's a gale blowing through it, which is also interesting because as well as their source whiskey, we put our new make there um, and the influence that the sea is going to have on it will actually be quite interesting um, because we're so close and because, you know, the wind is going right and we designed the warehouse in such a way that we have uh, the slats on each side of it so the wind goes right through it. Um, to create this whiskey that, you know, because we call ourselves the Atlantic Distillery, right? So mm-hmm. we're going to see what the influence of that old sea air will be on our whiskey. Uh, tell me a little bit about the distillery. So you guys are down in County Cork, right? We're down in County Cork. We're about half an hour uh, west of Cork Airport. And it's right in the middle of the town. Clonakilty, the name of the whiskey, is also the name of the town. Mm-hmm. And so it's classically triple distilled Irish whiskey. Is what we're distilling ourselves. What you have there um, is what we call our double oak finish. And as I said, it came in most of its life. It was maturing in bourbon barrels. We took it out of the bourbon barrels and then we put some of it into virgin American oak, oak barrels and some of it into what we call, or what is called a neoc cask. And a neoc cask is basically shaved and toasted red wine cask from Bordeaux. So it's not recharged. So you have, in, in, with Scotch whiskey, you have these STR casks, which are the shaved toasted recharge cask. We don't recharge. So you get more of the, the influence of the barrel coming through on it. And it's sort of niche, neoc, not too many people. We, I think we were the first in Ireland to use it. Uh, a few other distilleries now are using it. And we're actually gonna send some of those neoc barrels over to Garrison Brothers in Texas. We're doing a barrel swap with Garrison. They're sending some of their barrels to us. We're, we're going to send some of our NEOC over. So I definitely think these will be the first NEOC barrels to actually make it all over to the Atlantic. So, you know, it's, wow. it's rather than we're not obviously hiding the fact that we're using source whiskey, but we don't want to just bring it in one door, put our label on it and send it out the other door, right? We want to say, listen, we're going to make good whiskey. We're not there yet with ours, but here, look at what we're doing in the, in, in the meantime. And this should give you an idea of the sort of quality that we want to achieve when our own um, single pot still is ready. And while you're absolutely right, the three years is the legal uh, term for Irish whiskey. The problem, if you like, with single pot still is that really it's gonna be five years before it's ready. It takes the longest to mature of all the whiskeys even longer than single malt. So um, we have to be patient. Um, and it's coming along very nicely. Everybody's happy with it. But I think, you know, we don't, really, we don't, we don't want to rush it out, which I think As, is amazing. And using like a virgin oak, I, I, and I don't know this, I'm curious, from a bourbon perspective, as you're charring it or toasting it, which will obviously bring out flavors, does, does the quality of wood if you're using a virgin oak have to be higher since you're not charring it or changing any of the um you know compounds of it more or less it does it does and we're very specific about um the the wood that we source mm-hmm. um and again because we have um paul back in ireland he's pretty good at this sort of stuff so we would be very choosy about it yeah 
And the other thing obviously is that, you know, you might get 10 barrels in, but each of them will be different. Mm -hmm. So some of them might, we put the whiskey in it for two months. Some of them we put the whiskey in three months, but you look at the barrel the day one that arrives, you don't see any difference between them, but all the barrels are so reactive. And if you look at our batch sizes, I don't know what batch you have there, but uh, the batch seven, I have here is, sorry? 17. 17. Okay, I have seven. What, I've got 1,600 bottles on this one. What's your? 6,000. 6,000. That's probably mm. one of the biggest we've ever done. Really? So the small batch, let's say in Kentucky, might be 100,000 bottles, but we would do, you know, small, small batches. And again, the big guys always strive for the absolute consistency in terms of the color, the flavor, yeah. you know, from year to year. We don't. It, there will be slight nuances in the difference with small batches, probably even more with the port cast finish that we do, you know, because the port pipes, they're all, you know, they're big, but they're all different. You would have different colors. You'll have a slightly different color. You'll have more fruitiness sometimes in them. It is, you know, it just, it, it is what it is. They're all good. Um, we, we, we do a couple of other things differently. Uh, I think than other distilleries, we have uh, what we call min minimal filtration. We, we, we have the, the uh, we try to filter as little as possible, just basically to, to, to make sure there's no char on the bottle of the bottle. And we add water over two weeks. And this is something we call the gentle cut. And it does make a huge difference actually in the whiskey. And now is that in terms of just rather than taking the whiskey and mixing it with a predetermined amount of water? I mean, are you having like a drip system or what is that like? Is it just slowly? No, we just added very, we added very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. um, so basically when you take in most distilleries, you take it from cast strength, obviously to bottling strength, you know what your bottling strength, strength is and you add mm -hmm. water pretty quickly because, you know, You've got to make millions of, of, of gallons of it. So um, we do it slowly. So we put it into a container. So we vat it, we filter it, we put it into a, and just a IBC was called a bulk container. And then we just add water very, very slowly to it. And a funny story, I was about four or five months ago, I was up in Jacksonville and this guy that I knew, he said, try this, this is our, this is a bourbon barrel pick. And I tasted it and I said to him, that is the most delicious bourbon I've ever tasted. And he said, yeah, you know, we're proud of it. We had water over two weeks, very slowly. And I mm. said, hey, we do that as well. It was Old Elk. Oh. And they had a, they had a bar pick for a bar in, in, in Jacksonville. And, it, and I went back and they have an article on their, on their website about it. They have the exact same thing. They've tested it scientifically. Um, obviously, you know, can everybody do it? They can't because they don't have the space. It takes up a huge amount of space. Uh, so it's not something that uh, the, the bigger guys can do, but um, it really does make a difference. And if you have the same whiskey, add water very quickly, because the water creates heat. When you add water to alcohol, it creates heat. There's, evapor there's uh, the evaporation of the alcohol. So add it slowly um, and it does make a difference. That's incredible. I don't, I've never heard of that. I think most of I, I talk with people like, in bourbon. I've never heard of that before. It's well, when the guy from all out told me this, I was like, yeah, that's crazy how we, the two of us independently came up with the same idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it makes yeah, sense it makes though. Sense. No, it does make sense. It does. Absolutely does. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah. I always, I always kind of wonder more or less, you know, the, I, I had a conversation with somebody from a craft distillery here um, and he made the point of, you know, some of the big guys, Buffalo Trace and, and Heaven Hill and the big bourbon companies. He said, those guys spill more in a day than we make in a year. 
And I, I have to imagine that's fairly close to kind of what Jameson does. And like you said, you're trying to, they're trying to create a consistency versus like you guys can create a lot of different like expressions by changing some things very subtly. It seems like whether it's a finish or, uh, you know, adding higher percentages of, you know, malt or whatever you want to do. Um, is that, is the, are you, do you get to get involved in the, you know, art versus science part of that? Um, or, or how does that work? What's that process like for you guys? That's, yeah, it's a good question. The, the process actually is that we go into liquor stores and we talk to the buyers in liquor stores and we say, listen, this is what, these are our standard products. And we, we taste them our standard products. We talk about the things we were speaking about. And then the guy or the girl may say, oh, listen, you know, I really would like something with a higher proof or I'd like it with a rum cask or a cognac finish. And basically I just get on the phone to Ireland. And if, you know, if the hour is still reasonable, I can get an answer pretty quickly. We have, and then it's just simply, we can, we will just produce it, you know? And we've, we've done a, in this, at this quarter, most of our sales this quarter will actually be single barrel. Uh, finishes for liquor stores up and down uh, the country and some will be a cast strength some will be you know between 100 proof and cast strength basically is what people want so we're able to sort of react to the fact that there is more demand for higher proof so people are moving away from the 80 proof and they want to get more higher and higher proof and we can do that is that is that a um do you see that mainly in like overall in American markets based off of, you know, the popularity of the high proof bourbons. Yeah, this is, this is a, <coughs> I think it's, it's an American thing as such. I think the guys in Ireland were a little bit, are you sure you want to send it out at, you know, 116 or whatever. Yeah. And I said, absolutely. And then we were sort of a little bit, there was a little bit of trepidation, but people are loving it. And we've just launched or we're launching this month, a 124 proof, Mm. Uh, uh, rye finish from Catoctin Creek Barrels, and that's 124, and that is beautiful. But oh. it, and it is, it drinks really smoothly, even though you know, like 124, you're thinking, Oh my god, you know, what is this? Some bite, hey, but it really is good. And again, it's all about you know, um, just the care we put into it, the the, the filtration, and all the rest of the stuff, you know. So mm -hmm. it is good, and but there is an art in blending, and I mean, I think that's the other thing. Blended whiskey has got a bit of a, you know, it's like a dirty word blended, you know, and it is, it's an art form. Yeah. You know, and I've been doing tastings and somebody will walk in and, and they'll say, is it, a, is it a single malt or is it a blend? And I'll say it's a blend and they say, oh, you know, not interested. It's a blend. And I said, well, hang on, you know, you can get a single malt for a relatively low price and it's not very, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's any good right yeah. just because it's single malt. no of course it doesn't equate to quality it doesn't no but i think people and maybe it's just because you know before you know you could put anything into blended and in certain countries you can put in basically you can put in new mixed spirit into it and call it a blend and stuff like that so you know i can understand to a certain extent why consumers may be a bit put off with it but there is an art of blending and being able to put a certain amount so we have let's say some 10 11 year old grain whiskey which if you think, you know, grain whiskey as a young grain whiskey isn't a very complicated thing. But when you put it in, a, when you have it in a barrel for like 10 or 11 years, you know, it is a complex, it is a complex spirit. So being able to take that and then figure out what, what uh, single malt to marry that to vat it with. And then what, you know, what barrels you're going to put that in. You know, there's a lot of science to that. And there's a lot of um, artist, artistry as well. 
I mean, I think it's a bit of both. Uh, so I don't have the palate. I don't have the nose for that at all. I'm glad I have nothing to do with that part of it because it is, you know, there's not everybody can do it. I think no. that's fair to say. But basically, this is the point I suppose I'm trying to make. It, it, it comes from the market. We're talking to these these buyers, these and we, you know people who are doing barrel picks, and the feedback was: listen, the higher the, the proof, the better. I think this is maybe the people are sort of coming around to the fact that maybe you drink less, but drink better. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And maybe as we're all getting a little bit older, there's probably no harm in that either. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not such a bad thing. Some of those, uh, some of the lower proofs go down a little too easy uh, these days. Well, but, they do. They do. They do. Yeah. But I, I won't, I haven't had many higher proof Irish whiskey. So I would definitely be interested to try that out because I think it is interesting. And I think, you know, I know for me on my sweet, my sweet spot in, in bourbon is like that 90 to 105 range, but I do like some that are higher. Um, but I do, you know, Irish whiskeys tend to kind of stay in, in that range or, or below that. And I think there's a, a really nice place for that personally. Yeah, I su- yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see more and more coming out because I mean, again, as I say, the US is the biggest market for Irish whiskey. So mm-hmm. anybody that's over here is for sure is reporting back to Ireland. Listen, the bourbons are moving up along in terms of the proof. So we got to move with it. Um, I think one of this, the, the single pot still that um, blue spot, I think that was a cast strength. Mm. If I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, yeah that, there is, there would be a bit. The blue spot had the, uh, the whiskey communities in a tizzy this summer. It was crazy. I know it's, it is. I was in a liquor store in New York and it was for sale because New York is this price posting, right? So you have a legal posting mm. of the price it was like 99 bucks or 89 or whatever. And down in Florida, it was 399. So it's just, yeah, it's absurd. The, uh, the difference in some of those, I, I was, I'll tell you, I went, I made two trips to Ireland, uh, in 2018 and 19, and, you know, got to do some of the distor- distillery tours, um, you know, and go to some establishments and try out some different things and, and had an absolute blast there. Um, I will, anytime I can go to Galway, I uh, absolutely yes. loved it. Never made it down to Cork, but I, I loved Galway. Uh, that was definitely one of the more, more fun times I've had. Um, but I remember going into a, a, a store there and they had a bunch of different whiskeys and the amount of Irish whiskeys that were there, uh, not only just like your standard, you know, like you said, Jameson, Tullamore, Dew, Bushmills, uh, but starting to get more, more brands. And then the m- more offerings from those brands that we've never seen here is the popularity, um, here. Is that based off of like the quantity that sold obviously big, a bigger size country than Ireland or, like is Irish whiskey the the popular drink of choice in Ireland when it comes to whiskeys? Oh, for sure it is. Yeah, it would definitely be the most popular. Um, and I suppose the problem with if you're if the question is why why can't you get them in the U.S. It's just you know just the whole logistics and the time spent to get a, a route to market in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is really really difficult, and the distributors because you have the three-tier system, mm-hmm. distributors don't necessarily want to take risks with new brands that aren't established. They're going to say, especially now, right, where there's not enough workers in warehouses and sure. you know, not enough drivers, they're going to say, well, I'm going to take in a couple of pallets of this stuff. Why would I, you know, it's taking up real estate in my warehouse, right? So oh. even when it was even difficult for us, 2018, 2019, um, it's, it's, it's more challenging now. So unless you have an established route to market, 
um, it is really, really difficult. Now, obviously, you can see that there's more direct to consumer sales. So mm -hmm. there are whiskeys being sent and being sold online. And hopefully that will sort of relax and that'll help, you know, get, it'll be easier and it'll cost less to ship over stuff. And let's say to one guy, one company who can, you know, distribute to most of the states. But at the moment, that's, that's not the case. But I think the Irish off licenses, we call them or liquor stores, you know, they, they are really open to, um, you know, stocking smaller brands and the craft brands and helping support the industry because I think they can see that you know it's uh, you know I think we're we like to support our own basically in Ireland you know so sure uh, that's that's definitely one thing we're good at and I suppose one of the disadvantages and one of the reasons um, that there's very few bourbons in in Ireland you know mm -hmm. we should and part of it is tariffs and there's a whole thing going on there with that but I think we don't have access to a lot of great bourbons in Ireland either. Sure. So perhaps that's part of the reason there's so many Irish whiskeys in the stores over there. Yeah, it makes sense. I think there's a, uh, it's interesting though, the, the, the people equate Irish whiskey with Jameson. And I think yeah. once you, once you go outside of Jameson, there's a lot of really good Irish whiskeys. And once people start to branch out, I think they would find that, but I understand what you're saying. Why, why give that a chance when, as a U.S. consumer or U.S. retailer, when you know that you're going to sell the main few uh, that are out there, the big name brands that are out there versus, you know, like you said, the craft distilleries and bourbons are popping up and they're selling like crazy. Um, you would imagine some of the craft distilleries with Irish whiskey would do the same given the popularity here. Do you think there would be a, a time when that direct-to-consumer would exist from Irish distilleries? Oh, I, I definitely think so. And I mean, I think if you look, I mean, it's all going to, well, legislation is going to be a big part of it, right? Mm -hmm. If like, <clears throat> if the courts decide in the U.S. that you can actually just, you know, send alcohol across borders without any problems and all the rest of this stuff, then I think it will work. And still, it's, you know, we you can still do it to a certain extent, but it's, you know, I would love to be able to send alcohol by USPS, which obviously yep. legally you can't, right? Because it costs us <clears throat> to ship a bottle of what you have there from our, from Florida is probably 18 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. Because the, the, the company we use demand that you, you know, they charge us three bucks for signing it or that you have to sign it or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of profit going on there that, you know, if <clears throat> it was allowed, if USPS were allowed to ship alcohol and then it was just a normal thing, definitely there'd be an awful lot more. But I think it's going to happen. I definitely think over the next four or five years it's going to happen. Um, I know that obviously there's a lobby going on that to stop that because there's a lot of money being made by the distributors in the U.S. Oh, I bet. Um, you know, and it's in their interest, obviously, that that long way that continue. But the problem, with, as I said, with the distributors is that you know they don't have a huge, they don't have unlimited amount of warehouse space, and they're between and there's less and less of the larger distributors. So you know, they it's not it's not conducive to the smaller guys. Sure. So. You know, in in the U.S., obviously, if you're a craft distiller in, let's say, Texas or whatever, first of all, you build your brand in Texas, and then, you know, you might branch out to some other states, and then maybe one of the big guys like Total Wine or something will see that and pick it up and then expand it out, you know, so that's that's pretty tricky for us to do. I bet. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that happens soon, because I know my favorite liquor store was the Dublin Airport. 
uh, fly, flying out of there. There was, there was definitely a couple that are, it's like when you're at the grocery store and there's like the candy or something right there. And you're like, I'll just grab one of those. Uh, it was the same way. And I, I stocked up <laughs> a couple of times. So no, it's, it's, it. It is, it's really a great showcase uh, for Irish whiskey there. I mean, I think they've, and they're pretty good at, at taking in new brands as well. Um, you know, to give the variety, you know, maybe not all of them are huge sellers, but they'll still stock them. I think, you yeah. know, just because it's, 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 it's Irish whiskey. That's great. All right. Let's talk about this a little bit. So I, yeah. first of all, the bottle itself is awesome. I love the design of the bottle. It's, it's definitely unique. I love the hollow bottom. Um, I mean, this is a really good looking bottle. It's a really good looking label. It's very clean. Um, this, I mean, this would catch my eye if this was on a, on a, uh, on a shelf somewhere. Well, so I'm glad to hear that. And there's two, I mean, obviously it's the podcast, right? So people aren't able to, to see what we're talking about. I'll, but... I'll put it on YouTube so they can see it. Okay. Two things, right? We wanted a, the bottle itself. We wanted something that people would want to just grab and take down mm-hmm. from the shelf. It's on a liquor store, right? So in a liquor store. And the label was sort of developed like that because when myself and Michael, we were in like Edinburgh, Glasgow, in this really... Uh, in this bar where they had a thousand different scotch whiskeys and the lights were low and we were saying to ourselves well listen you can't even see the labels on 99 percent of them so unless you know what it is you're not going to order it so we said well listen if we're going to develop this whiskey we're going to make sure that the label is actually legible from a distance in a bar when the lights are down and i think we try we've worked in that the whale this is the minky whale so if you ever go to clannacilty in August and September, you have all these whales. People go whale watching. It's a big thing there. You take a boat out and you go whale watching. So that's why we have the, the, the whale there. And there's this, the actual, outside of the distillery is also the whale is there outside as well. So it's sort of talking about our, the maritime distillery and the fact that, you know, we're right beside the Atlantic Ocean. Our barley fields are right there as well, right beside the ocean. So we're really looking forward to finding out really how much of an influence you know, being right beside the ocean and being exposed to the ocean air every day does actually have on our whiskey. Yeah. But um, yeah, so that's it. So that's our bottle. I mean, it's a very heavy bottle. So yeah. you know, there's, a, there's a bit of pressure in the European Union on about, you know, reducing the actual weight of glass and bottles and stuff. So, you know, this is something we're going to have to be looking at over the next couple of years. But anyways, for the moment, that's what, that's what it is. That's what it looks like. I was going to say, so the EU said, not to do it so you guys said well, we're going to do it well no. more like <laughs> you were saying guys you know we've we've all these targets to meet by 2030 and one of them is you know reducing the sort of carbon footprint so you know what are you going to do about it and th- there is pressure on whether you should have a carton on your bot uh, you know have the bottle inside a carton so uh, should you be shipping cartons what are you going to do with the bottle should you make it lighter and all that sort of stuff so look it's it's where it's going, so you know we don't really have too much of a too much of a choice, but that's what it is for the moment. All right, so this is the double oak finish. Yeah. Uh, double gold in San Francisco, like that. Double gold, San Francisco World Whiskey Awards Best Irish Blend in twenty twenty. And yeah, so this is our flagship, and we're quite proud of this. This is, and when I do tastings we have a port cast finish and a lot of people who are bourbon drinkers will gravitate more towards the port cast finish because I think it's a little bit sweeter than this double oak finish. 
The double oak finish is, I think, for people who have tried Irish whiskey, who like Irish whiskey, and then just want to sort of try something else, maybe move up the category a little bit. And so you have you have you have the European oak and the American oak, you know, um, influences on it. So from the American oak, you're going to get sort of vanilla, caramel, mm -hmm. sort of maple syrup would be typical flavors from the French oak. You're going to get some sort of toasted almonds, sort of spicy notes from it. And then, of course, the French oak with having some Bordeaux red wine in it also. You're going to get some sort of ripe apple pear notes from that. So, and as I said, we, we, we make small batches. So each one will be, you know, there'll be slight differences between them. But I sure, think that only sure. makes it interesting. Yeah, it's a really nice nose. And this is 43.6. We don't uh, chill filter any of the whiskeys over here. Mm. Um, and we don't add caramel. So the coloring, uh, again, will be different from bottle to bottle. And sometimes it's amazing, you know, you, you have a eight or nine-year-old blend and you're looking at the color and you take another four-year-old whiskey and you look at the color and the four-year-old is like darker you're saying well what's going on there part of it mm -hmm. obviously is that each cask is different but also oh. part of it is that caramel is added and uh, oh. some to, some brands will add caramel to us caramel coloring all right let me try this out slauncha i'll have one as well that's that's really nice that really sits on your tongue. It does. It, yeah, it is. No, it's a nice whiskey. And as I said, it's for, so it's, it's 43.6. So it's not, um, you know, it's not too, 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 too high proof. So it's a nice, nice sipping whiskey. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, li I like how it kind of lingers. It's not a, you know, the short, quick one that's out of there um, that sits around really nicely. A nice, it like, does, spice, yeah, it nice spice and fruit at the end. Exactly. That's it. It's a nice lingering spices to us. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, it's not an overwhelming uh, like rye spice or the heat from the proof. Uh, it's, it's a lot more subtle. That's, that's nice. What is it? What's the price point on this? Um, most places about forty nine ninety nine. I think it's a little bit cheaper in California. So between thirty nine ninety nine forty nine ninety nine. Okay. And can you order this? Uh, is there online retailers or third parties you can order this to in, in states that they deliver to? Yeah, them? we have our own store, uh, Sip Irish S I P Irish dot com. Um, we had Clonakilty Distillery dot com as you know, but our shop Clonakilty dot com, I should say. But you know, people were having problems spelling Clonakilty, so. <laughs> we came up with sip irish so i think everybody Simplified. can yeah exactly so man this is yeah, really nice great glad uh, you like it and yeah we're quite proud of it um it's a nice whiskey i mean um the neoc definitely the neoc barrels uh do make a difference to it um and it's if you were to taste the same whiskey before we were using the neoc and afterwards you would notice you know the difference between the two Mm -hmm. Now tell me, tell me again. This is typically uh, blending wise. Is is what kind of an age with this one? Somewhere between seven and eleven years old. 
Okay. The grain element is older. Okay. Yeah, this is really nice. Um, tell me, tell me again. I know you'd mentioned a couple of them. Tell me about some of the other finishes you have. Cause I know you said the stout, uh, was it a port or sherry? Well, our three, our three standard um, whiskeys is this, the, the single batch of Loke. We have a port cask finish and we had a single grain Bordeaux cask finish. Okay. And there are three standard and in each, in each state then, let's say we would have uh, a collaboration with a local brewery. So down here, where I am in Florida, you, you can have an IPA finish from 26 degree brewing in Pompano. So you can have mm. your IPA finished beer. And we have in, um, in, in, uh, in, in Maryland, we have with Manor Hill, we had um, another finish. We had a stout finish um, and we have a Baltic Porter finish also. So each state we would have with a brewery, and then sometimes we have these special releases, like what I said with Catoctin Creek, where we have four, like 2,400 bottles. So we're just putting that into New York, New Jersey, Maryland, DC, and Virginia. Okay. So, but, so, but it, as I said, we're trying to react to what the, the consumers want, you know? So it's like, if we hear that, and we're watching the trends constantly all the time. So I would suspect that as we can see with the higher proof, that's something, you know, we're going to bring in a single malt with a 46% proof um, in the next couple of months as we're sort of phasing out the, the grain whiskey, the single, the single grain board up. I'm going to have Just to keep my eye out on that single malt. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, and it's finished in, it's also finished in the New York barrels as well. Mm. Yeah, that's for some reason, I, some of the single malts I've had lately uh, I found myself really gravitating towards those. Uh, I tend to really yeah. like them. It's, yeah. Now, do, do you guys uh, do you guys mess around with any peat or anything like that? Uh, no, we don't actually. Um, yeah. And that's a question that I get asked quite often. Uh, and it's tricky with peat because you just can't, you know, switch it on and switch it off, right? So you either have to, you just can't start uh, distilling again normal, uh, yeah. you know. So we don't have it, and I don't think there are any plans to do it. To be honest, at the moment. Yeah, I don't, I'm very hit or miss on peat myself. Uh, it's I, I, I'm I'm not personally a big Scotch fan. Uh, I stick with bourbons and Irish whiskeys. I, I I just don't really. I never got into Scotch. Um, I've had a couple of Isla Scotches that were that were good uh, that I enjoyed, but there's definitely that level of peat where I, I think, man, I don't know if I can go much more than that uh yeah that's yeah. interesting i'm i'm the same and i mean i've been, obviously had conversations with people who drink nothing but you know the most piteous scotch they can get and they're trying to tell me that you need to go past this sort of barrier that your tongue is sort of you know we just can't get anything other than the peat and apparently you know it's an educate they tell me it's an education thing you just got to keep banging at that door and then eventually you'll just sort of break it through and then you can appreciate all these all these flavors coming from it. but you know i think there's enough you know you can do enough with without having a peated whiskey you know yeah. by playing with uh, different cast finishes and all the rest of the stuff yeah and what we when our when our single postal will be ready so we're looking at you know 2024 probably for that i mean how, how our profile of that is going to be whether we'll be using some sherry influences on it or whatever that's going to be you know a big point i think of discussion 
and fun coming 2023, 2024, you know, when we try and figure out with Paul exactly sort of what flavor profile we're going to have from our own, mm -hmm. you know, single pot stuff. Because that is going to be something, you know, you make a decision with that and you sort of have to move on with it. You just can't chop and change out of it. So that's going to be that, fun. That's the fascinating part of the whole of whiskey to me is, is like you said, you're looking forward to 2023, 2024, um, waiting until that time to try it out and go, okay, is this what we thought it was going to be? If it is great. And if it's not like, how do you adjust from that point? Uh, I think that's really an interesting part of the whole whiskey thing for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And whether, you know, you have, do you, do you finish it then in the cask or do you buy the cask now, put it in the cask for three years also, right? So that whole mm -hmm. thing. And then if you're doing small batches, the problem with small batches, I said, is each one is different, right? So you can't necessarily, you don't want to be, you know, skewing too much from one batch to another. So sure. yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of challenges ahead for uh, the guys in Ireland, but fun, I, it. I think as well. Yeah, it sounds like a fun challenge because I think you're. Uh, this is really good, and I think if you're continuing to make other really good whiskeys, you know, it gets more people interested and uh, excited to try out the different iterations that come out. Because you know, once you have one thing that's good, um, yeah, they want to see what else is out there that they could possibly get into. That's how I got myself into single malts, um, just trying out other things, and I said, "Man, that, that flavor profile just kind of resonates with me." Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's the. As it's you know it's 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 great fun as well you know and so there's nothing quite like uh, you know sitting down with a flight of whiskeys in front of you mm -hmm. sometimes I do it with people and it's completely blind right and sometimes I have this tasting mass you know and everything is in front of you and you know exactly what you should be getting on the nose and the palate but sometimes just have us completely have three random whiskeys from I bring them to a tasting they wouldn't know what they are and we've got some you know we've got like about 40 different types of whiskeys now in for sale between single barrels and different mm -hmm. collaborations. And it's fun with people trying to, you know, listen to what they're, what they're actually taking from it and what they can detect on their noses and on the palate and everything, you know, and people are different and need, you know, people who also know a lot about whiskeys and bourbons and scotches and Irish and who, you know, who have very fine, refined palates will get different things out of the same whiskey. So, you know, you have your official tasting notes, but then, you know, three people who are all experts will come up with different tasting notes for the exact same whiskey. I always find that interesting. Yeah. And I think also there's possibly a, uh, a bit of a, we'll call it mind control. Uh, if you come in and say, I smell pears, uh, it's very easy to smell and go, yeah, I get, I get pear there. Because uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's in your, it's in your mind, you're thinking about it and it's really easy to put those things together. Yeah, exactly. 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 Awesome. Park, I really appreciate this. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, where can people find you guys on social media? Clonic uh, Hilti Distillery USA is our, obviously our US, so Clonic Hilti Distillery in Ireland also. So we're on Instagram. We have our US Instagram where we post different things about, you know, different bars and all the rest of stuff. But the Instagram in Ireland is it's what's going on, you know, mainly in Ireland. Awesome. And from the distillery, so. Yeah. Thanks very That's much, great. Tony. It's been great talking yes. to you. Yes. Thanks so much. I appreciate this bottle and I, uh, I'm looking forward to keeping my eye out on that single malt for sure. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you get out of the sample of it anyway. Don't worry. All right. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Take Th care. Thanks so much. Take care. All the best. Bye.